The Athletic. The Race F1 Tech Show, brought to you by Aramco. Copying, drawing inspiration, taking an idea and running with it, there's lots of names for what we're talking about today. In Formula One, just how far can you go in adapting other people's ideas? Hello, I'm Ed Stewart and welcome to the Race F1 Tech Show brought to you by Aramco. Of course, Gary Anderson is here to talk all things tech, the former Jaguar and Jordan technical director. He can trace his F1 career all the way back to 1973 in Brabham. So he's seen it all, been there, got the T-shirt. How's life, Gary? Actually, yeah, talking about T-shirts, I still have some from way back in 1973 somewhere, I think. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, life's good. Um, just, you know, just... Um, enjoying this season i mean it's up and down and all that sort of stuff but it's still you know it's still a good season and i think the competition's pretty tough there so it's uh, it's always interesting to see how teams and designers and technical directors and that approach a season with such reg- such a massive regulation changes as this one and uh you know and, and more importantly how the season de- develops and how the developments develop so it's uh, time will tell who's who's really on top. I think by the time we get to the British Grand Prix or just post that, we'll have seen most of the 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 stages of le- levels of development coming through, and we'll sort of get a better picture of where everybody is. But uh, right now, it's, it's it's interesting. Yeah, it's been a great storyline this year. The rules reset has really made it such a fascinating year in so many ways. Well, let's first up let you have your choice of topics, Gary. What's grabbed your attention this week? What would you like to talk about? Well, the, the thing that uh, I suppose we never see, and uh, I think most people would say we don't want to see it again in the same way, is what happens inside the front of a gearbox on a Formula One car when you've got pull rod suspension. We saw it with Mick Schumacher's accident in Monaco, you know, when the gearbox came off the car and was happily sitting there quite proudly displaying all to be seen inside the gearbox. Now, it's not, not the best shot in the world that, uh, that you can see, but it's, it's up on the website, so you can have a good look in there. But um, I think it shows that, you know, with the pull rod suspension, um, everything has to be so compact. Inside of there, you've got, you know, you've got two torsion bars, one for each side of the car, um, which basically the pull rod pulls on and it rotates it and twists it and, and gives you the spring stiffness that you want to hold the car up. Then you'll have an anti-roll bar on the back of the car, which works when the car tries to roll. It resists that load. Um, and then you've got a, a third spring, which connects the two rockers together as such. So when the car rolls, it doesn't actually compress that third spring. It just leaves it at the same length because it's working and the rockers are working it in sort of opposite directions, I suppose you might call it, or even the same direction. I'm not sure, quite sure how you'd explain that. Um but then whenever the car is going down vertically, going down the straight, the third spring comes into play and keeps it from off the ground or keeps it from getting to the ground too quickly. And it's a very critical part for uh, for porpoising because, you know, you want the you want the compliance and the, 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 the low stiffness rate, I suppose, for cornering so you get good traction and the car can ride the curves fairly well. But then you want a very stiff car going down the straight to stop that last bit of movement that... Uh, that um, instigates, it, instigates this porpoising you've got to be very careful with the stiffness of that because over bumps the car will move a lot then the car starts bouncing on the tyres so again the the, um, the porpoising will rear its ugly head so there's a lot going on inside that very limited space of the of the bell housing um, you know there's a lot going on inside that, that that gearbox housing and it's a limited space and that's really why Red Bull have, have gone to the pushrod solution 
because they've got everything on top of the gearbox. Um, and they've got like two sets of everything if you look at it. It's got the rocker driving the torsion bars and then it's got the dampers and it's got um, another setup of, of third spring assembly um, that it's been questioned, I think, by some teams as to whether or not, you know, what are Red Bull doing with this? Why is it so exotic? There's a lot of parts there. We've seen very, very few pictures of it, but there's a lot of parts there doing a lot of work. But what it does mean is it's accessible. You can get to it very quickly during practice sessions. With practice sessions getting to be less and less now, you know, one hour instead of an hour and a half, you've got a lot less time to actually do stuff. So if you can experiment quickly with, with setups, um, and the big one now is, you know, as I say, is to just make sure you can optimize this porpoising so that you get the downforce, but it's not critical to the car ride. Then being able to get to that suspension set up to be able to do that is critically important. When it's down inside the gearbox, i.e., with somebody that runs pull rod suspension, not just Haas or Ferrari, but anybody that runs pull rod suspension, it's a lot more complicated to get in there and have a fiddle with it. I'm sure most teams have access to certain things, but you know, when you can when you can blatantly see it and call a, a change that takes seconds, you know, against a change that probably takes minutes. It's a massive difference when you've only got a one-hour practice session to do stuff. So I think, again, on top of all of that, Red Bull have latched on to something that um, that's, suits this formula a lot better now. Um, I asked the question whenever they did it, why? Because I thought the centre of gravity and all that stuff lower and out of the way and aerodynamically, the pull rub was better. But whenever you look at it practically, they may just have latched on to something that's a, a very good thing. And, and you know, as Adrian Newey, Newey himself has said, he focused on the suspension of uh, of this year's car, uh, this year's Red Bull. And it's quite a lot different from others, both front and rear. But the rear especially for me is is significantly different and significantly easier to work on and significantly easier to optimise. And I think that's one of their big advantages. Does it make any great dynamic difference, push rod versus pull rod at, at the rear? Or is it just doing the same things in different ways? There must be pluses and minuses to them. Um, yeah, I'm sure there is a plus and a minus, but it's very small. I mean, the geometry of the wishbones is what changes the car dynamically. Um, the anti antis on the car, anti anti lift or anti anti squat, are what changes the car when you go on the brakes or on the throttle. Now we can see on the front of the red build, they've got a massive amount of uh, of anti dive uh, on the top wishbone. Um, so it's it's sort of one of these these areas where it takes a lot to make a difference. Um, you know, we're talking here um, with what you can't see, I suppose, on cars. You're talking about one or two, three percent difference. Um, but with what you see on the Red Bull, you're talking, you know, five, six, seven percent difference. So you have to do a lot to make a big difference. Uh, within the within the uh, the configuration of the suspension, I suppose you could, you could call it, there is more to be had than it being a push rod or a pull rod. So if you can get to it and optimize it and not be not be constricted by the space that you're trying to package it all into then i think you can get more out of it than than you would be if you as i say if you had to do it all inside the gearbox housing and i think that's more important than the than the actual philosophy of one against the other it's just the fact you can get to it you can make it it can be bigger so you know you can make it work better for a for a given design solution i mean anything you can see a grandfather clock or you can see a tiny wristwatch. They all tell the time. It's just that one's got bigger bits in it than the other one. Um, and because of that, it's a, it's, a, it's a whole different philosophy. But it still tells the time. 
it's the same with suspension. It'll still do exactly the same job. It just will be different to to optimise. It's one of the things that's great to see this year, a little bit of diversity in the designs, because at the rear, I think we've got six teams on pull rod, which is the conventional approach, if you like, and then four on, on the push rod, because McLaren and Alpha have done that, as well as Red Bull, which also supplies Alpha Tari. So that has made things quite uh, quite interesting. Do you think we'll see people changing their philosophy from year to year, or do you think that they've set their course now and that they'll probably stick with what they've got? I think it'll be better both. Um, you know, the uh, the copying thing is a difficult one. There's a lot of talk about it at the moment, but it's it's one of those sort of situations where you need to you need to sort of understand the objectives of it. And so, I don't think it's it's right to just say, "Oh, push rod suspension that must be the answer. Let's do it now." Um, you know, because it isn't the answer. It's about what you do with it afterwards. Or what you what you allow yourself to be able to do with it afterwards it's the important thing and um that's that's difficult to create by just copying somebody because you've 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 headed down a path that you really don't know what the the sort of prime mover was for it I suppose you might call it so it's just one of those sort of situations where copying is not necessarily the right thing to do, but I'm sure there will be some teams do that. Well, let's move on to our main topic for the week, which is how F1 teams take inspiration from rivals and at what point that might turn into copying. First, Gary, I guess it would be good to, to get your perspective as a former technical director of how you do go about taking inspiration from other cars. We often see technical directors looking at rivals' cars. Adrian Newey's always to be found taking a, a good long look at uh, opposition cars, even some of the slow ones as well, because there's always something you can learn. But how would you approach that how would you do your initial evaluation of if you see something on another car whether it might be worth considering well there's two ways i suppose it's it's whether you're looking for um inspiration for performance or whether you're just looking for uh inspiration on ideas that sort of back up your own ideas if you're if you're out there looking desperately for something that, that some some magical thing that somebody else has got in their car that you can put in your car to to make your performance better then you'll never find that it's it's any any car sorry about the dog there that's, that's um, all right what, what's what's disturbing the dog uh, i have no idea just <laughs> life i suppose but uh yeah any any uh any car is about the, the the total package it's not about any individual component on it it's about them all working together so it's one of those sort of situations where you've really got to um, not deviate from what your philosophy, your car philosophy is, just by copying somebody else. Now, you know, we've looked often, um, as has everybody, each other's cars, and as you say, Edwin Newey goes up and down the grid and looks at stuff, but he, he's looking more at engineering solutions to, to given problems. All the problems are exactly the same. And he's looking more at the engineering solutions of how people have gone about those solutions as opposed to um, you know something that somebody else has got that you feel will change your car's performance it's just about how you package it all and how you, how people have, have done away with it i remember him saying a few years ago you know he was disappointed they didn't come up with the, the rear suspension that, that uh, mclaren had come up with whenever they started to move the the pull rod in in along the wishbone line top wishbone line which was very elegant uh, and it meant the rear brake that could work harder at generating downforce. So there's always some idea there, but he wouldn't go away and copy it. He'd go away and find his own solution to that same 
set of problems was something that was steering him in a slightly different way of doing it. But uh, the copying thing, we've always done it. We've always had pictures taken of various components around the car that you see that's, that's there in public view, like you know, front wing end plates or you know, whatever, turning vanes, barge boards, all that stuff. And then if you go away and you make one of those the best of your ability and you put it on your car to test it, 99.9% of the time it will have worse performance. And then you stand back and question, well, is it right? Did, did we copy it correctly? How, how does that come? That it's not better? Well, it's, it's always just down to the fact that it's, it doesn't suit your package. You know, your airflow, the airflow structure around these cars is very, very critical. So if you change that airflow structure, you're going to get a change in so many other things downstream that you have to optimize everything. So in the end, it might be better, but you've got to have time then to optimize everything. And, you know, when you're designing a new car, that's that's the thing you do over a six-month period. So if you're going to try and make a front-wing end plate work that's on a dual blogs racing car, on your car, you know, you haven't got that six months again to do everything. The end plate itself in detail might be better, but it won't work with your airflow structure. So you've got to be very, very careful about how you go about it. You can look at things too, evaluate them and see how it changes it and then maybe plan for the future to fit it in with something else but to just sort of do something and blatantly put it on the car you're you're very naive if you think that'll work how about if it's something overtly new and different obviously all cars have end plates for example and i guess you could just about have somebody particularly in days past take a a radically different approach that redefines it but what about if there's a a whole system that that's that's completely different. What would you do if you were confronted by Mercedes DAS, for example, from a few years ago, or, or some, something that's completely new that you'd have to understand and then think, oh, how can how could we potentially adapt that, even if it's just to go through the process of evaluating and rejecting? Well, if you take the Mercedes DAS thing, I mean, it, it was it was done as a as a given thing to to suit their their problems, their negatives. And I think you can look at Mercedes now and say they still have that problem of getting the tires working uh, on a qualifying lap or getting the tires, as they call it, warmed up. It's not about warming them up, it's about working the tires and getting the the structure you know, moving in the tire so that it generates heat from the inside as opposed to generating heat from the outside. Um, so they still have that problem. So they, they, they created something that was uh, that suited their problems. Um and for other teams to go off, they need to sort of scratch their head and think, well, do we actually have that problem? You know, no point in copying someone if you don't have that problem. It's, it's about it's about trying to fix your, your given problem. I think an example right now is the, is the front wing end plates on the Mercedes with this undercut they have underneath the flaps. Um, it's questionable in my book whether that's acceptable, but, you know, there's nothing that actually defines the plan view shape of the flaps. So they do have this dog leg in them that comes forward where they join up to the end plate. The intention was they wouldn't have. And that was what they were trying to do to stop the, uh, to reduce the outwash. Now Mercedes have come up with a sort of novel idea of cutting this slot out of the bottom of the front wing end plate that allows the the tyre, uh, the, the, the tyre squirt or the air that's being displaced by the front tyre that's being displaced around the outside of it to pull more airflow through that slot. So it's given them more outwash around the front tyre um, and works the front wing that little bit harder. Um, but I, I haven't seen anybody else jumping in there, both feet first, to, to, to get that on their car. Maybe it will happen, but I think a few other people are sort of maybe happy with the flow structure they have around the front wheel and, and don't necessarily want to go that way. You know, McLaren, the, the Mercedes situation is, is 
much more complex than that and the, how they work the front corner of the floor uh, on their car. They, they, they work it very basically beside, you know, besides compared to what Red Bull um, or Ferrari do. And I think because of that, then they, the outwash will work for them. They're taking more floor around the outside of the tyre instead of letting it go in through the, the underfloor leading edge. So you can see the reasons for that happening and working on a Mercedes or being beneficial on the Mercedes, but I can't see how it would work and be beneficial on the other two cars because they're already uh, creating the outwash in the underfloor section, which makes the underfloor work better. So it's what suits your car, you know. There's, there's never one sort of real philosophy right through it. Um, and especially with the regulation change now, we haven't seen that. So it will be a while, I think, before we see everybody sort of jump into the same bandwagon as, as far as the car design is concerned because those, the cars, all of the cars, to be honest, but especially the two, Red Bull and, and, and Ferrari, they are quite different. And then again, we've got Mercedes, which you'd, you'd arguably say they're the third best team at the moment. They're very different. So it's not got a path yet for anybody to really follow. You're listening to the Race F1 Tech Show, brought to you by Aramco. Aramco continuously push the limits of engineering excellence. As the global energy partner of F1, they drive a shared vision to real-world innovation that aims to lower emissions, enhance performance and accelerate human potential. Aramco, powered by HAL. We'll get on to some of the specific examples from this year of supposed taking inspiration from others' cars from 2022. But when you look back in your career, are there times that spring to mind of times either you've taken an idea from another car and applied it or had an idea taken from one of your cars and applied it? I mean, one that springs to mind of the latter was the the cockpit sides in 96, where it was Jordan and, and Williams under Adrian Newey who worked out a more sensible interpretation where the sort of John Barnard Ferrari had sort of that big armchair look similar with the with the Benetton or, or is there one where where you've gone through a process of uh, of taking inspiration I should say rather than stealing an idea <laughs> um I'd like to say there's uh, I've seen quite a few teams use inspirations that, uh, that that we as a team at Jordan came up with and I'd also like to say that um I don't remember lots of time that we took inspiration from other teams we had our, our way of doing stuff we had our beliefs of doing stuff and i think we followed that path very very carefully i i always um sort of rejected the fact of designing the car from uh, from racing car magazines that were lying on the people's desks around the around the company you needed to you needed to sort of focus on what you believed in what you thought and, and then try to achieve that in some way or another not that we've always done it, but you know the best by any means, and other people have done it maybe better than than than, than us. But um, we would we would look at, at certain areas, as I say, at that time front wing, front wing end plates, barge boards, um, various details as to how people have gone about stuff and and what it, you know you would test in the wind tunnel something that somebody else had on their car to see what it, what it really did and try to try to analyze the flow structure you know back in those days the flow structure was analyzed by a a metal rod you stuck through the wind tunnel wall with a piece of wool wool tough on the end of it and you go around looking for where the vortexes were going that was coming off a certain component um it's probably still done actually to be honest because it's a good way of sort of understanding stuff there's much much more sophisticated ways now of doing that 
but it didn't tell you too many lies. You know, the, the aerodynamic surfaces that have got different pressures across them have always set up vortexes. It's not a new thing by any means in the last few years that we that we hear so much about it, but they've always set up vortices of some sort. So you've you know, you've got to follow the path of those vortices, and you can either try to exaggerate them or minimise them, whatever. But you will get a change on the flow structure around the car if you can do that. And that's really what barge boards did. They, they created a flow structure down the side of the car, which stopped airflow from going underneath the car. In their own right, they didn't actually generate downforce. They were just the vertical turning vanes as such. But overall, they probably got to the point um, whenever they were fairly basic before we saw these you know, last five, six years of, of what barge boards were getting very, very complicated. But when they were very basic, they still generated probably 15% of the car's downforce. So are they responsible for generating 15% of the car's downforce? So they're a major player in, in downforce. And, you know, you will look at those sort of areas of what other cars go about it, how they, how they get that bars board to potentially work harder, uh, you know, work more robustly or whatever. Um, but you still shouldn't change your, your philosophy and things, to be honest, and go, go any different route. I mean, they, you know, if you look at the underfloor, the whole sort of concept of our first Jordan, the 191, with the, the way the tunnels worked, the way the back of the car was, and the, the large Coke bottles and stuff, nobody really went that route, but it worked for us. It meant the, the rear of the car was very stable under braking. The downforce went rearwards whenever the car changed in rake, which is what we were trying to achieve out of it. Um, so the car to the driver was a very stable car. It probably it didn't produce the downforce. I was going to say it probably didn't produce the downforce, but I know it didn't produce the downforce of, of some of the top players. But at the end of the day, it suited what we knew and it suited what we wanted to try and achieve. And that's what you've got to make sure you do. And by copying somebody else, you'll never get to that point. You know, you're, you've got something else. Now you have to sort of try and come up with the uh, the the what was trying to be created from the beginning as opposed to you've got the end result basically you put the cart before the horse and that never works out well well we've talked about how you approach taking inspiration as a team gary but let's talk a bit now about f1's attempt to regulate copycat cars this was as a result of the pink mercedes a couple of years ago they tried to tighten uh, this up this is covered by Article 17.3 of the Technical Regulations. That part covers the listed team components, used to be known as listed parts. So they're the areas of the car a team must design itself and own the IP for. There's some allowances for using contractors doing this, but that's that's the essential rule, and a big part of that is the aerodynamic surfaces. Article 17.3.3 is the key one, and it states that although it is permissible to be influenced by the design or concept of a competitor's LTC using information that must be potentially available to all competitors, this information may only be obtained at competitions or tests and no competitor may design its LTCs based on reverse engineering of another competitor's LTC and reverse engineering is using photos and images with software that converts them into some kind of design data using stereo photogrammetry and various 3D imaging techniques and non-contact surface scanning and any technical tools that project points or curves onto a surface the rules do say that if there is a resemblance between cars, the FIA will investigate and make a ruling to decide if it's the result of reverse engineering or of legitimate independent work, and teams have to supply all sorts of data should this be necessary. And we should note that in the case of the Aston Martin, that some compared to the Red Bull, the FIA has said absolutely no problem at all. But what do these rules mean in reality, Gary? A car needs to be a legitimate independent work, but you don't start your car design by inventing the wheel do you no you don't start by inventing the wheel at all that's 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 true you you know everything 
derives from your knowledge base of some sort or another. And, you know, your knowledge base is such that you, you try to build a better car every time you get a chance, whether that be because you build it lighter, stiffer, more downforce, more efficient or whatever. So all the way through that range, you have to come up with the concept, as I call it, that, that allows you to pursue that. And then you spend six months, probably, maybe even a lot longer, nine months or whatever, um, optimizing it to get to the end product. So whenever you drop the car on its wheels, that's the best you know probably two months ago because time moves on pretty quickly. So you have to you have to make all this stuff. You have to print the drones and, and manufacture stuff. So probably two months ago, that was what you, you knew. The teams themselves over the last few years have tried to minimize that two months and some of them have done a good job on it. So, you know, maybe it's now a month ago that was the best you could put forward. So you'll always have something else coming along merrily that will be better than what you've got. But it will still be based around what you, when you hit the button, basically, it'll still be based around that concept and trying to improve it because you never have enough time, no matter what it is, you never have enough time. Aston Martin have said they sort of pursued two concepts at the same time um, prior to Red Bull being released. I, I don't think that's possible. I'm not saying they didn't. I, I just don't understand how that's possible. Um, I don't understand why you would do that because, you know, initially for your car, you put your eggs in one basket and you head down that road and you get the best eggs you can uh, by the time you need to crack one open. So I think, personally, I think that the, the, the Aston Martin has been inspired by Red Bull. And if you look at it visually, it has the same sort of philosophy, which is quite a bit a different philosophy to what the original Aston Martin was. However, there are some very subtle changes, I suppose it could you could say, um, or differences even. Um, and one of them is the area where you need to work the, 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 the car harder, that front corner of the floor. Now, if you look at the that section of the floor where they now got the undercut underneath the side pod on the Aston Martin compared to the Red Bull, the Aston Martin one is much, much more like a an upside-down wing. The Red Bull, the top surface of it is, is a fairly straight surface. So it means that the the, the, uh, the Red Bull front corner of the floor, if you took a sort of section through it from the, you know, I, I don't know, 20, 30 degrees to, to the center line of the car, you would you would come out of there with a with a, a a section that looked a bit like a wing. It's got more surface on the bottom. Top surface is fairly flat, and it's got turning vanes underneath there and stuff that will that will mean that the that whole bit is designed to to work to give downforce at that front corner. If you come out of a if you come out of the same section on the on the Aston Martin. You'd come out with a a section that was a bit more like a um, a dolphin. You know, it's got surface, it's got surface top and bottom, but the top surface is curved um, as well. So it's uh, you know the two are cancelling each other out quite a lot. So I don't think that they they're able to to generate or create the complete package of that front corner of the Red Bull, and mainly because of where their crash structures are or how they've gone about it. You know. How they how they come up with the legality for the the three sections that whenever you take a slot a slot through the car all that sort of stuff is very very complicated. So the, the although the the sort of the visual concept is very similar to what Red Bull have got, 
the actual detailing of it is is quite a lot different, and and probably because they couldn't do the detail that the the Red Bull has, because uh, I would say you know if I can spot that from a distance that that change, and I'm sure it's a negative as opposed to a positive, then I'm pretty sure that they would have tried to pursue it in the best way they could. Um, so there's very there's lots of differences, and I would now go back and say that you know I I have never been a great fan of just copying other people's concept um, and and seeing what you can get out of it. Uh, I think the, the the pink Mercedes was a much closer version of of the Mercedes than than the the green and red bull is. Um, but I, as I say, I think it was done in a little bit of desperation to get to try to change their concept, which was, was way out of bed with the flow going through between the, the you know the undercut going so far down the car. It didn't generate any front corner downforce whatsoever, which meant they couldn't they had to work the diffuser even harder. So that generates more more porpoising. So I think they've you know they've they've changed their direction. They still haven't optimized what they've got, so that'll take a couple of races. And I think you know they will do better than what they were going to do before. But that's just mainly a, a change in, in 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 concept because what they got, what they had initially was was so far wrong. And of course, they've also got a more conventional push rod front suspension compared to the pull rod rear suspension. And we know that one of the big driving forces in the suspension configuration is aero. So there's a there's a difference in the airflow being presented to the to the front of the floor and the side pods anyway. Yes, yeah, so, so you know it's all different. As I, I said earlier, it's it's all to do with the flow structure to the car. You know, it's not just one bit. Um, there's there's fundamentals, I suppose. That's the things you need. You know, you know, you know, you've got an underfloor that can create downforce. You know, you've got a, a diffuser, uh, and you know you've got that front corner of the floor. So then it's about, all about getting the flow to those areas that are the big downforce producing areas on the car. It's about getting the flow to those areas as best you can. Um, to, to get the most out of them. It's like you know, saying, okay, we've got a rear wing, um, but I'm going to put this massive engine cover in front of it that the rear wing doesn't see any flow. Well, you know that's not right. You, it's, it's one of the basic fundamentals. You want to have a rear wing, you want to have decent airflow to it, and then you can optimise the rear wing. So this nowadays with these current regulations, you've got this underfloor, um, and it's massively powerful, much more powerful than what it has been in the past. So the, what you have to do is get good airflow to it and maintain that airflow right through the car. So you have to sort of give your, uh, the areas that are your most productive, you have to give them the most treatment. And uh, as I say, that's that's just the initial concept of the car. You have to sort of prioritize certain parts through the car and, and then get them working for you. And coming back to the way the rules are written, obviously it was in response to the, the pink Mercedes. And we should say Racing Point was largely cleared of that. The only thing they actually got a penalty for was for the, the use of the rear brake ducts. And that was all about the fact that brake ducts had gone from non-listed parts to listed parts. They got the front and rear brake ducts the same, 2019, the year before. They'd used the front ones on the car, so that effectively grandfathered them for future use. They didn't use the rear brake ducts because the Mercedes was a low-rate car, theirs was a high-rate car, so they didn't need them. So it, it fell through the cracks of the rules as they were, but that's why the rules were, were rewritten. But presumably the rules as they are, do you think it precludes you just taking a load of photographs and trying to replicate the car as far as you can from that without using those various clever techniques that were used? Do you think that's going too far down, taking inspiration from others? Well, I just don't quite know how far the the, the FIA will push this requirement of not using you know, trick photography 
um, to, to do things. I don't know how you can do that because, you know, we see in the pit lane how many photographers there are. Um, so do 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 any of those have trick photography cameras, you know, that are there? I mean, I can take my iPad at the minute and I can I can measure this every room in this house just by sitting here where the walls are, where the windows are, how, how big the recesses are or whatever, just by pressing the button and it tells you that where, where it is. So you could, you could scan through the side pod of a car and do exactly the same sort of thing and get a really pretty good reference as to what, what you've got. It might not be 100% accurate. It might not be you know, to, the, to the tenth of a millimetre, but it will give you a reasonable sort of clue as to where things are. So it's about policing stuff. If you have a regulation, you have to be able to police it. And it's a bit like, you know, we talk about the budget cap and being able to police it. It's a, it's a real massive task. Um, so you can write as much as you want about regulations and what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do. But then you have to police that. That's the end, end result. And I'm, I'm not sure how well it's policed in any, to any degree from the FIA. You know, how they can come in and, and pick up so quickly the, uh, the approach that a team has taken to design in their cars is really difficult. You know, do you see the initial sketch that was done when you were in the bath one night, you know, from the technical director as such that said, oh, look at this, here's an initial sketch that if we if we do this that way, there you go, boys, go and try and sort that out. That's the sort of thing I'd expect Adrian Newey to arrive with at Red Bull. Um, so there'd be an initial sketch and then a, a sort of paperwork trail from there as, the, as teams tried to create some stuff that looked a bit like his sketch um, before they got to the wind tunnel. Do, do they do that? Do they look at the detail of that? You know, does it, does the thing first arrive on the on the CAD system as boof? It's ninety nine point nine percent what we're running now. I don't know that, so I can't really comment. All I can do is say that the the policing of any regulation is is all down to the policing of it. You can write anything, but then you got to police it. Yeah, that's the key, and I think a big part of it is that the FIA wants a little bit of room for interpretation in the regs so that they can take action if they feel people have overstepped. I think it's less about being vague about what teams can do, more about making it a little bit of a, a warning shot. And yeah, as we've seen, Aston Martin absolutely in in the clear on that. And unless there's any uh, any any further objections, that will remain the case. Well, if you're listening to this podcast, you must recognise the value of asking questions. At Aramco, answering questions helps them engineer a better future. So if you'd like to know how something worked in F1, we'd love for you to send us a question. And if you're lucky, we might just answer it on a future episode. If you can, record a voice note and send it through to you. Our first few questions have been in email form, but we'd love to hear your voice as well if you'd like to do it that way. So send that to podcasts at therace.com podcasts at therace.com and don't forget the hyphen and of course in your message if you do a voice note remember to tell us your name now the question we've got today is about red bull gary it's from bill adkins from boulder colorado his question is is red bull racing's initial success in this new rules era an outgrowth of their championship winning exhaust blown diffuser success insofar as understanding underfloor airflow and managing porpoising and ride height is an important factor there do you see a connection in terms of the know-how gary well yes but but first of all bill uh, boulder colorado lovely part of the world i, I spent a bit of time out there a um, few years ago with uh, snowmobiling up there with uh, alonso jr so it was uh, quite a lovely part of the world and love to get back there again sometime but going back to your question i mean everything you learn you learn for a reason and the and the uh i you know i've always said that if, if i had a better memory 
I would be very, very clever, but I can't remember what I know. Uh, and that's always a problem. But, you know, I think going through a Formula 1 team, it always learns something with every set of regulations. And, and the blown diffuser situation showed that how effective the diffuser could be on the underfloor and how you could generate downforce from it. Uh, so whenever these new regulations came up, you know, of, of generating more downforce from the uh, from the diffuser and the, and the underfloor tunnels and stuff, then obviously that, that opens a door to sort of go back and try and rekindle your thoughts on what happened during the the blown diffuser thing because that was, you know, a similar sort of thing, getting more out of something that uh, that wasn't available before. So I think you, understanding and just being able to, I suppose, as many, many people say about Adrian Newey, being able to see airflow, um, which I don't necessarily think is correct, but he has a good feeling for what airflow will do if you do X, Y, Z to it. I think having that in the in the in the, in the uh, memory database is always good whenever you come to a pro- potential problem like the porpoising. So you make sure that your your understanding of how the exhaust blown diffusers, for example, would change the characteristics of a given underfloor. Even the you know the double diffuser, how that changed the characteristics of an underfloor. Having all that database to work back onto to see the areas that suddenly, by working them harder, you had problems popping up of airflow separation in some areas. And then to just make sure that you, with these new diffusers, which are much, much more powerful than the double diffuser or the exhaust blown diffuser was, you know, making sure that you stay away from those critical areas or you you pay attention to those critical areas to make sure you, you don't dig a hole for yourself that you can't get out of. So any knowledge is good knowledge. Any knowledge in the in the same area as what you're now exploiting is fantastic knowledge. So yes, everything contributes towards Red Bull, I think, having a, a good package there. Well, if you'd like to take it back even further, I remember speaking to Adrian Newey at the time of the, the blown diffuser cars, and he said one of the first things they did when they hit upon the idea of this was to speak to Renault to get them to dig out all their data and stuff from the previous uh, exhaust blown diffuser era which was in the the early 90s because obviously they, they've worked on it there it just shows how there's that continuous build-up of knowledge isn't it i made that comment about you don't start building a car by inventing the wheel do you and there's not just that sort of general knowledge of design but there's also that specific sort of history of, of design that if you've got good records you've got so much to fall back on well you know just going back in time to, to our you know 91 jordan um, which was obviously the, the first Jordan. You know, we we had ground, we had the exhaust blown diffuser at that point in time. We had exhaust blown diffusers ninety one, ninety two, ninety three, and then they got limited in ninety four because of the Aaron Senna accident. But um, it was a time whenever you had the exhaust pipe and the diffuser. So, you know, when you were doing your wind tunnel research, if you got this exhaust pipe and the diffuser, you had to look at it very carefully because it affected how the diffuser worked. And the fact that you would have on-off flow in the diffuser was something that was that was very important. Um, you had to analyze that. So we, you know, we had a, an airflow that went down through the and, the, and the wind tunnel model went down through the, the rollover bar into the exhaust so you could turn off, on and off the airflow at each ride height to see what its influence was, you know, at low ride heights or at under braking, you know, because whenever you get to a corner and you lift the throttle, the car changes attitude immediately, even before you get on the brake pedal. So... You know, you've got to 
understand what it does and you've got to understand its application and that's really where with exhaust balloon diffusers they started to create the the, the fact that the, the engine would cut out because of reducing spark but the engine itself would actually still work as a compressor as such and airflow through it and coming out of the exhaust pipe so the, the change on the diffuser was a lot less and drivers would you know be, be able to keep on the throttle and, and use the brakes again you had another tool in your toolbox to how to drive the car so it was a a big change on, on, on how the car's characteristics were. And, and it still is. So, you know, it's it's not exhaust blown now, so it's not so critical to the fact that you've got an airflow change by lifting or by changing the throttle position. But it's an airflow change by car by car attitude change. So you've got to you just gotta research all this stuff. And the, the more data bank you have of uh, in, 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 on hand then the better you'll be with it. Even if nothing else, it'll tell you what avenues not to go down, I guess. Well, thanks very much, Gary. We'll be back next week with an episode delving into the art of race engineering with Julien Simon Chautamp, who was most recently Kimi Räikkönen's engineer at Alfa Romeo. Remember to send your questions in to podcasts at therace.com and join us next week for more from Gary. You've been listening to the Race F1 Tech Show brought to you by Aramco. Be sure to like, follow or subscribe on your favourite podcast app so you never miss an episode. The Athletic.